Hi, this is Tim Winter. Welcome to What Would Dave Do? A digital conversation exploring the leadership experience. You can listen to it at timwinter.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. Welcome to What Would Dave Do, a podcast exploring the leadership experience. I am so excited for my next guest and episode three, Suzanne Johnson, who I have known, uh, been a colleague, a friend uh, for the last 20 years. Uh, We have done uh, battle together and uh, we have had victory together. And I consider her a friend. I consider her probably one of the best HR people I've ever worked with. And uh, she is currently uh, head of human resources at Leica and so excited to welcome her to the show. Good morning, Suzanne, and welcome to What Would Dave Do? Good morning, Tim. I am honored to be here. Ah. Uh. Well, I guess it is an honor. I'll take that. Uh, Anyway, so what have you been up to? I know, I know, and in all transparency to the audience, we were just at a wine tasting together or wine pairing with chocolate. And uh, so we did catch up a little bit there. But uh, why don't you tell everybody what you've been up to and what's going on in your life? That was a great combination, wine, chocolate, and Tim Winter. So <laughs> that was super fun. <laughs> um, I, and Tim's um, mom. <laughs> yes. Oh, my goodness. Your mom is wonderful. <laughs> I love her. <laughs> I, I can see where your charm and personality come from. Oh, oh okay. Joyce is Don't awesome. tell her that. <laughs> Well, it was a fun time and great to catch up with you and Misty, um, your lovely wife. And I, what have I been doing in the 15 years since I was at Hollywood Video, Game Crazy? Um, my kids are, are growing up. I, when I was at Hollywood, I had both my children. It was a decade of transformation for me. And um, I met wonderful people, including you and Dave Sacco. And I continue to uh, be blessed by those relationships. But yes, I have a 19-year-old and an almost 24-year-old now. So lots of things have changed. Um, I was really lucky to land a position at Leica right after I left Hollywood. And I've been there ever since. And it has been an amazing and wonderful challenge and uh, really um, important growth experience for me. So well, little- <laughs> yeah. So, so Jack's 24, right? Yes. So I met Jack in a Costco. <laughs> <laughs> it was like 24 years ago, right? I mean, he was. He, he was like three days old and you were in a Costco. I had to get out of the house. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you did. I remember that day. Yeah. I do too. Wow. That's crazy. So 24 years ago. Yeah. He was just a little guy and I'll never forget. I, what, what, what's his name? Jack. And it, it, he, darn it. He looked like a Jack. <laughs> yes, That's right. And Olivia is my daughter. So and, they're both uh, wonderful blessings to me. I'm uh, really um, amazed by them and uh, inspired by their bravery and courage and all the things that they're doing and learning in this life that is so different from when 
you and I grew up. <laughs> isn't yeah, isn't that the truth? And uh, well, they're very fortunate to have you as mom, and uh, with all of your wisdom and uh, and your approach, which I want to get into, you know, because uh, I have some really strong feelings about HR, and you're one of those people who break that mold of 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 HR. I remember I was at Metal Toad, and they said, Tim, when do you leave Metal Toad? I go when we're big enough to have a director of HR. Um, <laughs> And, and uh, one, because I know we're never going to find someone like you, uh, but B, it just, um, you know, there's, it, it, it's sometimes it's such a balancing act to be, um, to balance the, the needs of the company and the needs of the employee. And I think you have a really unique way of, of approaching that. And I, you know, I've always welcomed you have always just been able to to fill that gap and be that person is that why do you, is that intentional is that your approach is, did that just happen well um hr has a bad rap for a lot of reasons and for people's experiences in a lot of different situations and i i didn't know what i was getting into when i decided <laughs> to have a career in HR. In fact, I didn't, I mean, back in the day when I was in college, there were no HR degrees or maybe even certifications weren't, were non-existent back then. But I, I um, had the opportunity and it was through a, an a role that uh, was training others and I really enjoyed that. So that kind of led me down this path of human resources, but I came into it from an operations background. And I think that really served me well because I did understand the jobs that people were doing at the time it was famous footwear. And I understood the work. I understood the difficulties in the work. And there's a lot of similarities in operations and sales and customer service positions. Um, if you apply that in the HR world. And I guess from my uh, standpoint, uh, I was a rule follower, so compliance and boundaries and expectations and guidelines, those are important to me personally. So that I think was a fit in terms of the career path I chose. And then, but also I like the freedom to make decisions um, around those guidelines. And every place I've worked, there's been a culture for that. There's been an acceptance of that. So yes, this is, you know, these are the, obviously we need to be legally compliant. That's a, that's a low bar, but what do we need to do to make the lives of the employees uh, better? What do we need to do to make the business more successful? And those things are all uh, joined together. And so when you ask me, you know, about that balance, uh, I think for me anyway, it has been about finding a place where I believe in the product or the service or what the business is doing and that it's, you know, that it's bringing good to the world, community, whatever it might be. And that I find uh, the ability to have some freedom in how we go about our business, how we go about problem solving and a commitment from the either the, the leadership of the company or the, the board or the stakeholders uh, or the business itself that we can have some of that flexibility. And then there really isn't a choice. You can do both. And I think sometimes people get um, caught up in, well, if I'm doing right by the employee, then I'm somehow not going to be doing right by the business. And I don't know any other way. The employees really are the business. Um, and yet the business has purpose and 
um, they are a business, so they are for profit. And so everything we do needs to be um, aligned and funneled in the same direction. So that's at least um, the, the way that I operate. And I don't know if I knew that, Tim, back then. I don't think I did. I don't think I knew much of anything, quite honestly, except that I liked shoes. And um, I like to turn uh, people who I could see coming from the parking lot in a, you know, a huff and anger with carrying a box of shoes. And I was like, oh. I'm going to make this person's day. And that was just, you know, what I liked to do. So um, as my career went on, I encountered people like you and Dave and other leaders along the way that I gained insight and, you know, worked on it together, I think. Yeah, I, I yeah, think I, what, I, you, what you just summed you just up was summed really, um, uh, it's your leadership it's, ability and you apply it so beautifully to HR, where I think a lot of people in HR rely on a checklist. And I think what I've always really valued about you is you truly are uh, a, an HR executive and you are able to balance those things so beautifully. And, you know, where the employees always feel supported. Uh, I yet, I've never found a, a, a person to say a bad thing about you. Um, they might disagree with you at times, but I think that your approach and the way that, and it really comes down to that, that's your leadership voice. Talking about leadership, has your philosophy over the years changed uh, as as it has changed so much in the world, but, but has yours in your career, has your philosophy changed? Yes, uh, for sure. I mean, part, I guess I'll start with the fact that I thought, you know, in my early days of the work world that leadership was a position and um, that it was something to aspire to be in a job or a role that, that then you were a leader. And now obviously I know that that's not the case. And, and there are good examples of leadership, at least from my perspective, and some folks who should probably not be in those roles. But also I've seen many, many examples over time of good leadership from anybody in any role. And, you know, it's not just about the CEO or the, the people in the C-suite positions. It's really leadership comes from lots of different places. And so I used to be very focused on individually contributing. I mean, partly because that's where we start, generally speaking. Um, but I was very focused on that. And so uh, it was uh, it was something I had to learn to be able to allow other people the space to do that good work. I, I you know I I always wanted uh, the good outcome, but I also like it wasn't like I thought I was doing it better than anybody else. It's just what I knew. <laughs> right. And so um, when you start to like realize, oh well, one you don't have to know everything, which is a huge relief, right? Yep. <laughs> And then secondly, like, you know, building a team with, with folks who come from different perspectives, different experiences, have different talents and different interests. And it's really powerful when you see how that collective approach uh, can work so productively and so much better than just having a bunch of individual contributors. So for me, leadership started to, to uh, become more about the team, less about control, more about 
setting people up to be their best selves and contribute to their best abilities and just trying to harness all that in, in, you know, the, the same, along the same path, whether it be alignment or communication or uh, support in other ways. And it's really powerful. And I think those who do really well, they just, that's what they focus on. They, they stop focusing on individual jobs or this is someone else's responsibility and they figure out how to band together to get it done. And that is a really beautiful and powerful thing. Yeah, I, I think that I think a lot of people when they get into leadership, they do really do see it as a position. And I, I can say for me, and you know, as somebody who has ran, you know, thousands of retail stores, uh, directly and indirectly or, or directly ran, you know, seventy eight, um, you know, seventy eight to a hundred at any given time, and as its own vice president, you know, two hundred fifty to three hundred retail stores. Um, I, you know, I always tried to create leaders at all levels of the organization and I wanted my store managers. And it's what I love about the four pillars of leadership is a store manager can have a vision for their store. When I was a store manager, I wanted to create wow experiences. I wanted people to feel, I wanted every single person to come through the door to have this great experience, whether they're having a good day, a bad day, um, whether they're just, you know, letting some steam out and getting a movie and going home when I was at Hollywood. But that was, and then I communicated it, you know, genuinely to every one of our, our team members, our CSRs back in the day. And then, uh, you know, to model that behavior myself and then surround myself with great people, having a strong assistant manager who believed in the same philosophy. Now, I wasn't concerned about the overall company. I wasn't even concerned about the district at that point. I was concerned about my four walls, but I could have a vision for it. We wanted to have wow experiences. We could, I could communicate it. I could self-manage and I could. And then as you grow up the ladder and you have more and more responsibility, it still applies and it just applies differently. And if you don't create those leaders at every level of your organization, well, you're gonna be working a lot um, and you're gonna have tough results. Um, and I've seen people do it over and over where they think, uh, you know, a funny story. Early in my career, I learned that lesson and um, it was Ed Hahn. And I was a regional manager, newly promoted out in the Midwest. And we were opening three new stores in Kansas City. And it was Christmas Eve. And Ed called me and he asked me, he called me Skipper. And he said, Skipper, where are you at? <laughs> And I said, you know, Ed had a nickname for everyone. And uh, he said, where are you at? And I said, well, I'm in Kansas City. He goes, what are you doing in Kansas City? I said, well, I got stores to open. He goes, don't you have a district manager down there? Well, yeah. Well, don't you have store openers down there? Well, yeah. Well, I, you just don't understand, Ed. And Ed was relatively new to the company. And so we had it. And he goes, well, okay, Skipper. Uh I tell you what I'm doing today. I'm at my office and I'm calling all of the top performing stores in the zone and I'm calling all of the regional managers and I'm calling the top 10 district managers in the zone and wishing them a happy holiday. I wish I could call everyone, but I don't have the time. And uh, he said, so, um, well, listen, I hope you have a Merry Christmas. I hope you get home and uh, tonight and uh, yeah, good luck on getting those stores open. And we hung up the phone and I went, God damn it. He just doesn't get it. 
<laughs> and what I didn't realize, and it took me probably, it took me a while. I finally got what he was saying. And by me being out in Kansas City, to be really honest, I was just in the way. Everybody knew what they needed to do. The stores would have gotten open. The store, we had an unbelievable store opening team. We had a very strong district manager. I didn't need to be there. And what ended up happening is I didn't have the time to call all of my district managers and wish them a happy holiday. I never, you know, after, in the moment I didn't get it. I thought Ed was being, you know, I, you know, I was being defensive. Oh, Ed's at his home office. He just doesn't, he doesn't want to work on Christmas. And, <laughs> and, you know, it, it was so naive and, uh, and I was so blessed in my career to have opportunities to have worked for people like that, who, who really did understand it, you know, uh, and, and had a nice approach. At least that, that was my experience in working with Ed. And so he taught me a great deal and I, and I learned a lot, uh, and a, a lot of my leadership voice, uh, especially on the tactical side of it, uh, came from Ed. So yeah, I, I, it's, um, you know, you have to go through those lessons and you have to go through those experiences and, you know, trust me, I never spent another, uh, another, I never let myself get in the way again of people doing their best work um, as the leader and trying to insert myself. Uh, and it was, uh, you know, it was, it, was, it was the equivalent of, you know, playing charades on your desktop for the last 10 minutes because you don't have the courage to walk out at 4.50, you know, I mean, because you're done for the day. Um, so, well, I'll just sit here and, oh, well, I'm in Kansas City. Yeah, but what are you really accomplishing, Tim? And, uh, you know, it's a great life lesson. Uh, so I, I appreciate that. And I, I think uh, what you talked about is is absolutely true. And I think it's what makes you so successful because I think that's the approach you take in HR, I don't think you're a tactical person when it comes to it. I think you really, that balance is, uh, is so important. And maybe one day, maybe one day I can talk you into writing a book about how to balance those two things, because I, I really do feel, and I'm going to harp on this, uh, but I really do feel it's missing in HR today. And I was so happy when I saw your title that you are head of human resources. It's not this, you know, funny made up title, people operations or whatever. You, you, you are. It's, it's human resources. And, and you are at the head of that. And so the, the well-being and the care of the people who work at Leica is, is your job. That's, that's your responsibility. And you get to approach that. And that's so just awesome. Well, thank you for that. I do want to say, Tim, I think probably part of why you were at that store is because you wanted to show that you're, you wanted to show your support. So I, you know, and that's important too, but it's good that you became aware that maybe you were in the way and maybe that wasn't the best use of your time because that's, those are real decisions we have to make, right? Those are, you know, real conversations we have to have with ourselves in terms of where am I going to have the most impact for my team and how am I going to show the greatest support? And sometimes that's in an individual way and sometimes that's for the, the greater good. And when you, when you said the 10 minutes um, yeah. where you walked out, I had somebody say to me, um, it's been a few years now. And it was just sort of a, like, you know, one of those things where people say something and you just take a step back and you're like, wow, that was a surprising comment. I was leaving to go to, uh, I don't even remember if it was Olivia's sporting event. I think it was. 
and I don't remember which one because she was on so many different sporting teams, but I was leaving early to go to her game. And uh, somebody said, it's really reassuring to see that you put your family first. It makes me feel comfortable to do the same. And, you know, that, that was, that, that hit me really hard because people are watching you. You are setting the example. And, you know, that can be both in working hard and taking things seriously and having fun at work, leaving early when you have a family commitment where of course that takes precedence. Um, and it's not, you know, taking anything away from the business. If anything, that's just strengthening um, your, you know, commitment to a company who will allow you to put your family first. So I think those lessons come all the time and we have to really pay attention to them. But yeah, sometimes I leave at 450 um, because I got to be somewhere at 515. <laughs> or sometimes you just, <laughs> or just sometimes you're done, you know, I mean, yes. I think we work and, and I, and I think that's, you know, that, that's such a great segue into, you know, how has work changed? Because if you look at the history of work and uh, you go way far back to some of its root uh, words, um, you know, work has changed. And I think that the days of, you know, punching that clock and if you create a culture of trust and you have a culture of, uh, you know, the work will get done, I think that that is so much better than, and, and you know, it exists today. I, I, I'd like to think it doesn't when you have people like Simon Sinek who are out talking about this, you have all of these things. You have just, gosh, you can go on LinkedIn at any time and, and, and see this be reinforced. Yet you still hear about companies, you know, laying people off via tech. So you still hear about people you know, punching the clock uh, or getting, you know, in trouble for it. And it, it, it just absolutely amazes me uh, that in today's world, that is still something that isn't like dead. It still exists. Um, yeah. And I, I always say it, I think I've said it on this podcast before is, you know, do we really need another leadership book? And the answer is yes. Um, there, there, there are different ways that people receive information and there are still some really bad, uh, uh, cultures out there. Uh, and it breaks my heart that when I think about or receive that people have to work in those cultures, uh, because it's really, you know, demoralizing and, and you don't do your best work when yeah. you work in a culture of trust, you can do your best work. You can be your best person because you have, that the confidence and you have the autonomy and you trust the organization. And, and like that employee said to you, you know, it reassures me because you are so right as a leader. That's why the self-management and the four pillars is so important because that self-management and it's where most leaders fail is they are watching. So, so be very careful to, to not be a do as I say, not as I do. <laughs> totally. It's really, you got to be pretty transparent these days. People are, are, have really good BS meters, I think. So, um, and when you said about the way the work environment has changed, I would have had a different answer for you in early 2020 than I do right now after having all of us just come through this pandemic yep. together and wow, talk about, uh, an impact and a change, um, and, you know, I, 
I felt I had a pretty good balance going before the pandemic. And then it was really interesting when we were all, you know, at home trying to figure out how, in our case, to get people back to work who couldn't work from home and do it safely. And, um, you know, obviously people need to work. They need to feed their families. They need to feel, they need to be able to do what they love to do. So how do we make that happen? And it, it became, there were no boundaries for work. I felt like we were working 24 seven, like we were on calls with each other at 10 PM trying to figure things out. And thank goodness I had the the team and the, the, the leadership team that I was working with because uh, I don't, we, it, it, I just couldn't have done it. Like, I, I don't know what would have happened. <laughs> it, it was, uh, in the end, it was a really rewarding experience because we all went through something we did not have a clue how to deal with. And those lessons will live, you know, forever. Um, one of the things that it helped us do is we realized we can be a lot more flexible with uh, working from home, either in a full-time remote uh you know, version of that or something hybrid and that people really do benefit from having some flexibility there. And it, in the end, it's it's really supportive of what we're trying to achieve as a company. So that gave us the experience, whether we wanted it or not. <laughs> we had right. it, we, we did it, and now it's forever going to be changed. So um, that's, for me, one of the biggest things. The other thing that's been really interesting is uh, – the, the different generations in the work world today and the different needs. And obviously there are massive things that have happened in our lifetime, uh, cell phones, the internet, to name a yeah. few that have just radically changed, uh, you know, people's belief systems even. So having the uh, multi-generational workforce with such different views on work is also, it's a blessing, but it's also a challenge because you are trying to meet different needs for different reasons and um, that, that has been really interesting to find, you know, what's common and what we can do together and then meet individual needs at the same time. So, so we're, we're changed forever, Tim. Yeah, I think the world has changed forever, but I call it the great reset. I try not to get into much of the politics of it and all of that, but I think that we were going down the, the road at 500 miles an hour and, um, you know, the pandemic created this instantly putting on the brakes. And I think there was this great reset of priorities of looking at work a different way. Um, I, I, you know, I think that what we're finding right now is, you know, everybody saw productivity go up. I think what, what people didn't realize is yes, produ productivity did go up, but there, there was nothing else to do. You couldn't, <laughs> You couldn't go out to a restaurant. You couldn't meet a friend for it. You couldn't go to a wine tasting. You couldn't meet for lunch. So all you had, because I know our family art, Lucas was going to school. Misty was working from the office. I mean, we were, and we were stuck and there was nothing to do. Uh, you couldn't go to the movies. You couldn't do, you know, luckily for us, we have a boat and we it really enjoyed the summer of that. We really enjoyed time on our boat um, because we could do that. And we were away from everybody and uh, really, really enjoyed that. But I, I look at it as the great reset. And I think a lot of our beliefs, to your point, that you realized, oh, maybe we can work from home more successfully or maybe we can be more accommodating in this. And, you know, and, and then I think from the worker standpoint, they just looked at it as, 
you know, yeah, maybe I was burning the candle at both ends. And so I look at it as the great reset uh, of what has happened. Uh, and I do think, I think work is changing. I think people have different priorities and um, it, it's, it's just, we, we, as work changes, the employers and the leadership has to change too. And, and has to meet on that level. Um, I, I think that's going to be imperative. And I think that's going to be the great challenge for the next decade is um, the workers who are entering the workforce today have a very different view of work than maybe you or I or generations before us. Yes. And we're all operating on, you know, experiences uh, yeah. that are different. So it's, it's very, very challenging. Totally different. Science. Yeah. You mentioned Simon Sinek. I, I was just watching a clip um, of his because we are working on some training programs. So a colleague had sent it to me and um, you're right about like the consumption of information. Like that's also changed so significantly. And I don't know if you knew this, but my one of my dreams was to write a book, but it was not a, a book about HR. It was <laughs> it would be a purely a fictional, romantic uh novel like Nora Roberts that's okay like have a house on a hill somewhere and but I don't have the talent for that and if I do maybe I'll discover that later on but I'm pretty sure I don't <laughs> and I just love consuming those uh those novels because they take me somewhere else and that's kind of one of my things that I escape to but as far as leadership information you know there's so many more options to consume that information and i i do have to say that i kind of appreciate the bite-sized learning that we can you know um, do every day like i'm constantly reading things in different publications or um you know some of my go-to's like as an hr professional sherm is one of my go-to's and it's so nice to have you know sometimes that information readily packaged but on the other hand you really do have to think about the application of that and what's right for your company and your business and that it is information and that yes uh, information can be influential but you really need to see multiple sides of that before you can figure out what's right for you personally and then what's right for you professionally and i'm can I, I talk about that with my kids all the time because i think that young minds can be so easily influenced and when it's in a really positive, constructive way, that's great. But if it's the opposite of that, you know, it worries me. So I, um, I guess I'm a bit cautious about that, and I probably speak to my uh, kids about it on a more regular basis than they'd like. But it is one of the challenges I think we have going forward. Is um, one, people expect you to be transparent and tell you, you know what's going on and understand that's what we want to do. But there are some things too that people don't consume in the same way. So I find communication to be really interesting um, in terms of, you said it earlier, like bringing, bringing information to people when they're ready to have to consume it and when they need it. And that's like a huge challenge for leadership because um, you don't want to barrage people with a message, but you do want them to have, the information they need so that they know uh, where to go for resources or what you know how to do their job effectively understand what the expectations of their 
position are so that they can be successful. Like all of those things are in constant flux and people need that information, but how do you get it to them? So I think that's one of the great leadership challenges of, of, of this day. Well, especially you mentioned the intergenerational and, and they learn it different. They learn differently. And, you know, some of the newer workforce, it's, it's, it is the snippets. It is the, you know, having the training on the, on their phone. It, it, it's, it's, and then other people want the, the more, you know, directional uh, uh, type learning or the, the classroom type learning. And so it is, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's a huge challenge. I think it's um, I think we're probably poised better than we've ever been uh, because of technology and uh, because we can meet people where they're at and we can get them the information. I, I think about onboarding today with all the tools that are out there and there's various, you know, all kinds of apps out there. But I look at onboarding today compared to what it was, you know, even 15 years ago. It's it's night and day different. I mean, you're onboarded before you in a lot of companies, you're onboarded before you even start your first day. Right. And, it's true. And, and which is just, you know, and you have such a great, um, well, you just hit the ground running. And so, yeah, I think that's going to be an interesting challenge. And, you know, I'm glad that you are an HR leader uh, who are thinking about those things, who are, uh, you know, who you're kind of on the forefront of that. And you work in a really cool space and you work with a lot of creatives. Is that, you know, I always say, because I've worked with, you know, I've worked with video store clerks. I've worked with uh, uh, PhDs and social uh, social workers. I've worked with uh, rock stars. I've worked with pot farmers. I've worked with developers. Um, you know, I, I, and they all, to me, want the same thing. They want. Uh, I've never worked with artisans like you. So, uh, our puppeteers, our movie makers, and so um, I'm just really curious. Is that does? Is there additional challenges that you have? First, I want to say that I owe it to Hollywood Entertainment, the parent company of Hollywood Video and Game Crazy for having this opportunity because a recruiter was looking for HR people in the entertainment space. And that's how I got a call. And, um, you know, I said, well, I uh, I'm definitely interested, but I would not say that I've been working in the entertainment industry like you're referencing in terms of filmmaking. Um, uh, because my experience obviously was very different, uh, but it was the greatest uh, call because it allowed me to see myself doing the work that I love in a completely different space. Because before I had been on the, the retail operations track with HR, which makes sense. That's where I came from. It's what I love to do. So this was completely new in every with every respect. I mean, there was nothing that was similar other than, you know, humans and humans that need resources <laughs> that was that was the common denominator so it has been amazing to work with this group of creative people creative thinkers uh i've never seen anything like it i can't when i talk about the work we do still i know it doesn't do it justice because if you see it happening um it is just on another level and the problem solving, and I love problem solving, so I think that's what I get so jazzed about because they are solving really complex problems all the time, and the end result is so beautiful. So um, it's different on a lot of levels, but like you said, like it's 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 not really different in other ways because these are still people, 
And uh, I think one of the things that was helpful, oh, I wanna say one other thing that you mentioned before when we were were talking about um, HR and HR's reputation. You know, a lot of, we've been a studio now for a long time, but a lot of people in the early days, they were very uh, suspicious of what HR, you know, what, what are we doing here? What's our purpose? What are you trying to pull over on us? <laughs> and that's understandable because, uh, and a lot of our creative people come from, you know, other situations where they, some of them have been doing freelance production work. Some of them have worked at other big studios. Some of them come from the gaming industries. You know, they come from all different places because um, uh, that's what we need. Like we have all these different uh, wonderful positions working together to create this beautiful product. But I um, found that what was really helpful for us was um, I ran into a consultant and, a, and an executive coach and a, and a trainer who had worked in the entertainment industry for a long time. And um, his name is Nick Rothenberg. And he brought an approach to training that starts with the neuroscience and the psychology and the the, the biology of why we are, what, who we are, how we are. And it was really helpful because it was very unifying. You know, there's so many differences in everybody's experiences and perspectives and backgrounds, and that's what makes us special. But when you can look at something from, you know, a common point of view and you can understand like, why do we react the way we do sometimes? And then once you understand why, then, okay, what do we do about this? And it, it was very helpful uh, for, I think, everyone um, to really take a look at it through that lens. And there are lots of uh, executive coaches and um, trainers and consultants who take that approach now. And I think it's really effective um, because you, you do. we all, as humans, want to know, like, why am I like I am? Right. <laughs> and what do I do? What do I do with that? <laughs> So I think that has been really, really useful. Well, I'm sure Nick yeah, is a great guy, uh, but <laughs> but I think they did really well by hiring you, and you were the perfect person probably at the time. Um, obviously, you've been there 10 plus years, and um, how long? Is it 10, 10 plus? 10? I will be celebrating my 15-year anniversary this year. Wow. So. So, right, like they, that was a great phone call and, uh, (laughs) and it it, it is the, the return on investment is incredible on that and the work that you do. And I think the reputation that the company has and a lot of that, you know, really does. And I know you won't take credit for it, but it really does fall on your shoulders. Um, and, and you should be very proud of that. Uh, and it's, again, you know, I'm one of those people because I've just seen HR, um, you know, with the, with the little checklist and we got to do this and we got to do this and we got to do this. And one size does not fit all. And yes, there's commonality and there's ground, but I think it's an approach uh, that not a lot of people have. And when you have it, it's very, very special. And you have it uh, because I've experienced it and, uh, and I've seen it firsthand. Who are you admiring today? What leaders what 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 leader are you or who do you admire today? It can be it can be business, it can be politics, it can be I don't just who who do you admire as a leader today? Well, I've been thinking about that, and there are many you know great examples that um, have been in my life. Um, 
professionally and personally. And I think the one I want to highlight is my brother, actually. Uh, he, and I'm going to try not to get emotional. Ooh, I oh. didn't expect that. Oh, no, you can get emotional on this. <laughs> this is the what, has, what, what uh, would Dave do podcast. You can get his. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Dave would love that. Yeah, I'm going to um, get Kleenex <laughs> with the logo on it. Uh, yeah, so my brother's younger than me by five years, and um, we've been on very different professional paths. Um, we're very different people. I love him dearly. Um, you know, we went through that sibling phase of like when he was a he was twelve or thirteen, and I thought I knew everything. And you know, there was a bit of time where he was a nuisance, but <laughs> mostly um, has been uh, a joy in my life. And and one of my best friends, and, and I wish I saw him more, but I've watched him uh, over the last 25 years become this amazing leader. And uh, he, I know he did not have a thought about that when he was in his 20s. And I don't, you know, he didn't know what he wanted to do like most of us, but he started working for um, a business owner and they're in the remodeling construction business. And Jake saw something in him, which I think is a really important responsibility of a leader um, to see potential in people and to help them believe it. You, you mentioned that earlier. So, you know, he worked really hard for Jake and um, was rewarded with, you know, mentorship and learning many lessons. He and then my brother, Chris, is his name. He has, um, you know, really been inspiring to a lot of people along the way. And a few years ago, uh, he became co-owner of this company that he's worked for for so so many years and helped really build and maintain a, a, an amazing reputation. And I'm just so dang proud of him because, um, yeah, I just see his, he does the same for others that Jake did for him. And I think that is a legacy that is really important in business today and in, you know, people's lives. So I, I just have that most respect for him. I see how he cares and, you know, he really uh, tells people that. And that's also a quality of Dave Sacco. Dave, you knew Dave cared about you. And sometimes people are, you know, feel like they have to keep their emotions out of it. And that, that showing that you care is somehow a sign of weakness. And it's quite the opposite, as you know, Tim. So yeah, I, I love, I love, I love your comment about seeing people's potential because I've always seen leadership as a responsibility. You are in charge of the care and feeding of the people that work for you or that that you're leading by the word lead. You're taking them somewhere, um, but but uh, it's not position; it's responsibility. And you do you you're not your action is to see the potential in people because a lot of times they don't see it in themselves. And I'm shocked at how many leaders, you know, because because here's where I come from. I don't know what anybody's potential is. I've been so surprised so many times by people who end up, you know, other people wrote them off and they end up becoming these, you know, they're running companies today. Sometimes I scroll through LinkedIn. I'm like, wow, they used to be a CSR in Hollywood. And, and now they're doing this, which is so exciting and so fun. Um, so I don't know anybody's human potential. And, and for some of our, I, I'm not going to mention any names, but for some of our Hollywood homies, there were, uh, you know, there were, there were one in particular leader who, who used to, you know, I'll, I'll no names, but, um, 
<laughs> prided themselves on keeping people in their box. I've got to keep them in their box. And I remember asking him one time, why would you ever want to keep somebody in the box? Because that's all you're saying then is that you know best. You know what their potential is. And so, so by keeping them in a box, you're just harming them. And you're harming the company and you're harming the overall good. I don't know what people, and sometimes I'm, I've been disappointed, but, but that goes with the territory. I don't know what your potential is, but I know if I create a heroic environment where you can feel valued and appreciated, you can have a, pl a space to do your best work. And, and that's, that's it. So that your brother, and it's such a great story, and thank you for sharing it, that he sees potential in people because he's in the trades, right? So yeah. it's, even, it's even because they're not necessarily clear paths. And um, it, it, that's a wonderful story. Good on Chris. Yeah, he's pretty great. And he's a he's a fine barbecue uh, professional. Enthusiast. Also. Oh, well, wonderful. So, Enthusiast, so, let me, yes. so let me ask you this. We're getting kind of towards the end, but I don't want to. I really would. I really want to ask you this question. But what advice would you give, you know, Famous footwear, Hollywood entertainment. You did the transition to movie gallery. Then you beautifully went to Leica and you've had a, a robust career there. Somebody new, a new executive coming on, what, what advice would you give them? Oh, well, I would say, um, you know, if it's a new executive of any, any position or um, any leadership role and they're coming to someplace new, that you do take time to be curious and to find out how things currently work before you try to step in and change everything. Because that is our inclination. Like I gotta prove myself, I gotta show value. I immediately need to, you know, get in there and make a difference. But you miss things if you don't take that time to really understand and talk to people and and do that with curious intentions, like listening to what they're saying. Uh, before you, you know, start trying to change everything, because change is uncomfortable for people. Even if you're changing it for something better, it is a transition and uh, it's a disruption. So that that would be my advice. And I was, I think it was just, I don't, I don't think I was always um, doing that consciously. Um, <laughs> I think I was lucky enough to do that in. Um, with my transitions because I was learning a new business or I was doing something, you know, the role was different or in the case of like, like something I'd ne I had no idea about filmmaking at all. So, you know, forced me to do that, but it, it's really important. Even if you think, you know, and you think, you know, what you should do right away, take that time, pause, listen, inquire, observe, do all those things before you, you start talking with people about what we should do differently because <laughs> then you're giving it the due respect it deserves. Yeah. Plus the, the things that are broken are easy. Those are easy to point out. It's the things that they're doing right. That takes energy time to figure out. Uh, you know, when I would go into a new market, I would always look at, yeah, the broken things are broken. I can see all those. Let's focus on what you're doing right. Uh, and keep doing those things. But if you come in, it's such great advice because if you just come in pointing, I, I think the other thing is, you know, 
so many people listen to respond. Mm -hmm. And I always tell people, listen to understand. Because you can see it when you're talking to someone and they're just getting ready to respond to you. Like they're not, they're not hearing anything. They are listening to respond. And they're, they're, they're pulling up their debate uh, cards yeah. and they're ready to go. Ready to go. <laughs> so just slow down. Yeah. It's, it's wonderful advice. And I think it's, uh, I think you're spot on. So, uh, well, Suzanne, I've enjoyed this time so much and i i could uh as you know uh i could talk to you forever um and and i really really do have just a, a tremendous amount of respect for you uh and love uh and and just admiration so um but this is the what would dave do and i know that you had a very special uh relationship with dave and you supported him uh at the zone level and uh, I know he relied on you and thought very, very, uh, very, very highly. I, I think he, he shared the same admiration and respect uh, that I do. But um, for the audience and for the show, what's, what's your favorite Dave memory or story or, or anything you want to just, you know, this is your time to, to, to really talk about Dave. Yeah, um, I couldn't focus on just one favorite Dave story. Um, so if it's okay with you, I thought I would share like why he was so important to me and um, the floor is you know, all the, yours. Okay. Uh, and I, this is, there was like a, I was wondering like the last few days why I felt like so, so much pressure. And I think it's because I really wanted to do a good job for Dave. And that is what he inspired in all of us, not the anxiety <laughs> or the pressure, but, but that desire to do a good job. And, um, you know, he did that. I mentioned earlier, like he, you knew he cared about you. He said it, he cared about you as a human being. Um, he was always so supportive, but you know, the other thing I, 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 I always thought Dave was such a calming presence. Um, he showed that, you know, yeah, tough things are going to happen, but we just got to take a breath, you got to talk about it, and we will figure it out. And that was always such, you know, that calm that he had such a great voice because um, a lot of the work we were doing with each other was over the phone. You know, we didn't have Zoom back in the day, right. so we were on the phone together or we would be traveling in stores, but, you know, just talking to him was comforting, like instantly. Cause I knew like we would figure it out. Like it just, it just had that feeling always with him. And he, you know, he liked to have fun. Like that is so important. We spend so much time at work. Like you should be having fun. Yeah. You're doing hard things, but you should be having fun and really enjoying yourself. And you do that with and alongside the people that you work with. And he was just so great at building a team like that where people felt comfortable having fun while working hard. And those things don't have to be mutually exclusive. And I, I, this is what I realized. I think I shared this with you. I thought he was so much older than me, <laughs> even <laughs> though like he didn't look older. I don't want to, people to misunderstand, but he just was so wise. And so um, he was only a few years older than me. And so to be that wise and to, you know, provide that um, sense of calm and support. Um, and this was, of course, many years ago. He just, I think he had that innate ability to do that. And when he left Hollywood, he 
sent cards to probably every single person he'd ever met um, within that organization, which were many, and he wrote handwritten notes on them. And he called me Suze. Um, you said Ed had a, <laughs> called you Skipper. I don't want to know what Ed Hans, uh, uh nickname for me is. Um, but <laughs> but Dave called me Suze. Suze. I just, and he wrote that, you know, in, in my card, which I still have. And that was, you know, back in, I think, 2004 when he, when, you know, that's the last time I worked with Dave. And so he's, he sticks with you because the, the lessons he provides and the, the example that he set is one for a lifetime. And he was just very special in that regard. And I do, I think about that a lot, like have fun doing what you're doing because other people can have fun too, you know, when you set that example. And he just did that in in every uh, interaction with him. I don't remember ever, if he was ever upset, I never saw it. And, um, you know, like Simon Sinek says, when you're a leader, you share all of the recognition with everyone else. And when you are a leader, you take all the responsibility for any mistake or anything that goes wrong. And that just was Dave. Like you always felt he had your back because he did. And that is quite rare sometimes. Yeah, there was um, at his celebration of life, um, one of the people from um, City Brew told this wonderful story of um, they had a long day and uh, they were both exhausted and they went into town, I think, to get ice cream. And there were these beach bikes like that you could just ride, right? Small mm -hmm. town in, in Wyoming. And uh, they wouldn't get stolen there. Um, <laughs> couldn't do that here. But anyway, um, and they had these great pictures of they just went riding around on these beach bikes. And it was the greatest story. And it, it so dovetails to what you said, because, you know, the, I, I believe that was, you know, my relationship with Dave was we genuinely just enjoyed each other's company. And, and I think I laughed and had more fun uh, because he just made work fun, even when it was really, really hard. Uh, and, and he was always quick to, to send a funny text. And uh, I remember when text first came out and Dave, you know, Dave was very forward thinking, very, very forward thinking. He he introduced the uh, the digital music to me, and I thought he was crazy. I said, "Well, just put the CD in," and he was all excited about this. But I remember sitting in a meeting one time in the front lobby conference room in Hollywood, and all of a sudden my phone beeped, and I looked down at it, and there was a message from Dave: "I see you," and and I was like, "How did you figure this out?" Because we. I, and, and then from there on, he would, his little, if, if he didn't like something one of the speakers were saying, Dave would text everybody. And he started the group text and all the zone vice presidents. And yeah, that was, uh, you know, we'd all be giggling. And of course, nobody knew what we were doing because nobody knew what texts were yet. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. That really dates us, doesn't it? It, it really does. <laughs> but but it, yeah, was such a, it was just Sorry, so Dave. Yeah. Yeah, I just, there were many times when we would be laughing until we were crying. Like it was, I, I yeah, I just uh, thoroughly enjoyed those days and working with you uh, was wonderful. 
And I'm really glad that we've been able to stay in touch. And, and as um, unbelievable as Dave's passing was, like, I think it's also his legacy that it's reconnecting people, you know, who may have lost touch or just haven't talked in a while because we are sharing Dave stories and reminding ourselves how special those times were, which is important to do. Yeah. It, you know, it's, um, it's interesting because a lot of people ask me of the podcast is only going to be about Dave and it's really about the spirit of Dave. And, you know, I know for a fact, Dave would not want this thing to be all talking about him. He, he loved to explore the leadership experience. That's where that whole tagline came from. He loved to explore. He loved to talk about it. He loved to, we would go out for dinner and we would spend the entire time talking about leadership or different styles of leadership or what was working, mm -hmm. what wasn't working. And, and that's really where it was the spark that started this was to just keep that conversation alive. And in some small way, keep Dave and keep Dave's, yeah. it, it, because he had too much to offer to just, and there's too many people have too many stories like yourself or experiences not to at least try to share them with a with a with a larger community and that's it um yeah not a super polished uh, you know well-produced podcast but uh, <laughs> just a genuine <laughs> just just a genuine uh, you know uh attempt at um at making you know a, a someone who really affected so many people's lives and really had an opinion on leadership. Uh, and, and as we know in the world, we need more of it. So, so that's it. And, you know, I thank you so much for sharing. I, I appreciate you taking time out of your day to, to chat with me and, and to have this conversation. Um, I guess I'll just say thank you and, and I'll, I'll see you soon. Yeah. I'll see you at the wine bar. I'll see you at the wine bar. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Tim. Thank you, Suzanne. Have a wonderful day. I appreciate you. You too. Take care. Thank you. Bye-bye.